Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. Aussies, they love the Royals. Does any, anyone passionate about the Royals and the monarchy here in this place? Anybody brave enough to put their hands up? <laughs> you look, it's okay. I can't really understand, but Aussies love the Royals. You see, in the last two decades, the number one viewed televised event by Australians was the royal wedding, number one viewed the royal wedding between uh, Prince William and Caitlin, Catherine, Catherine. And the number two most viewed event was actually the wedding between Harry and Meghan. Out of all Australians, that's what they wanted to see. That was the most televised event in Australia. And I just couldn't, I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it. You see, it was on TV last year and we had all family over and they were all ooing and aahing. And I just was like, "Ah, I don't really know. But, you know, a bit of a confession by the end of it, I was actually like, oh my goodness, look at that dress. Can you believe it? That cake is so beautiful. Fun fact, that cake had over 500 eggs in it. I, I don't know. I felt it in me to research the wedding. All right. But, you know, when I was a kid, true story, when I was a kid, I used to believe when I found out that um, England had a monarchy, when, when, you know, there was a queen of England, I was young. All right. I was young. And I realized that Wow, they've got a queen? That is so cool. And I didn't know about democracy. I didn't know about, you know, voting and all that kind of stuff. I just imagined that the queen just had the power of the kings and queens that I read about in my kids' Bible or that I watch in the movies. I I just thought that at any point in time, the queen could just wake up in the morning and just like, you know what? I feel like I need a bigger backyard. Let's go invade France. And everybody would just be like, sure. You're the queen, you're the boss. And I used to imagine what that would look like if the queen had that kind of power in today's day and age, in our current world climate. I used to think, gosh, what would that be like if the queen could just do that? And, um, you know, I, I have a similar thought quite often when it comes to Christian people. All the time I think about it for myself. I often think, imagine what it would be like as Christians if we could walk in that authority that we have been blessed with which God calls us royal you know the Bible says that we are a royal priesthood even the psalm uh, the psalmist that Ben wrote it before um, it says that we're a chosen generation that we are co-heirs with Christ that Jesus is the king of kings big k little k and that we are part of his plan and his picture I used to think and still think what would it be like for Christians to walk in that authority to walk in and exercise that name that he has now given us I'm going to take us to a scripture from um, Galatians 4 verse 4 and it's going to come up on the screen and it says but when the fullness of time had come at the opportune moment this is Paul speaking to the Galatian church God sent forth his son Jesus born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons say adoptions church adoptions as sons it doesn't say it there but it absolutely applies to the daughters And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. No, you baby boomers, Generation X, that's not the band Abba. It's actually something more significant. See, that word Abba, the first time it's mentioned in the Bible is actually when Jesus is crying out to his father. 
in the garden before he was about to be betrayed. That word Abba is a, is a really powerful, intimate phrase that we have with our personal God. It's a personal statement between two personal people. It's actually, you know, Papa. It's my dad, my daddy. It's crying out. It's an incredibly intimate term. And it actually says that the Spirit is in our hearts crying that out. It's calling us to our real Father. It's reminding us who our Father is is so verse 7 says so you are no longer a slave but a son and if a son then heir through God this morning I want to talk to you uh, my message is called a slave to a son a slave to a son I'm just going to take a moment let's pray church Father, I just thank you so much that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us, that we can now walk in this truth that we are reading about, that we are learning about every single day. And Father, today, as I bring your word, may you be on display. May you be so attractive to us this morning. May you compel our hearts to want to be in your presence every single moment of every single day. I pray that after today, we leave this service, we leave this church just wanting to be with our dad, wanting to be with our papa, with our father. And I just pray that you would really bless uh, this word and I pray that it'll fall on good soil and that much fruit will come of it in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. You see, I find that this is an interesting scripture because Paul is actually writing to the Galatian church and at the time, that church was occupied by Roman rule. The Roman Empire had co- uh, covered most of you know, where Paul's ministry was. And this particular church was quite familiar with how to live life as Romans, as a Roman citizen, how to grow up in a world that is occupied by Rome. And it's just like you and I, we know how to live our life in Australia. We're familiar with our legal system, our law, and it's actually the same for this church. And so when Paul is writing this letter, you have to try and think of it through their eyes to get a better understanding of what they may interpret, you know, this scripture. And I actually found it very interesting when, we, when I did some research on what it meant to be adopted, what it meant to be an adopted son. You see, in today's world, we've we still have adoption. It's an awesome thing. I'm glad that we still do it. Um, but most of the time, what we're familiar with in regards to adoption is it's usually birthed out of circumstances that aren't ideal. It's usually from some situation where the child is in an environment where we want to take them out of. And it's usually because either the parent couldn't look after him or maybe um, maybe that child was deemed as or the parent wasn't responsible enough to look after the child. And that's not necessarily the way that the Romans viewed adoption. You see, back in this time, adoption, if you were adopted, it was actually like you wanted to, you want everybody to know that you were adopted because you would have this, you would want to wear this badge that said, I am an adopted son. Like it was something to be proud of. And my experience with adoption is not necessarily like that. I talked to people that I have known for some time and being adopted is something that they would be like "Mm, you know I was adopted and their first thought is usually like maybe I was unwanted or maybe I was an accident but that's not what Paul's talking about Paul's not saying you're an accident and so Jesus coming in to save you okay it's I'm going to go into this a little bit more but you see my experience with adoption is I'll share a little bit about my story is I have I'm one of five it was a rowdy bunch at home 
And then when I was about 14, 15, um, my two cousins came under the guardianship of my parents. So we had seven living in our house for, for six or seven years. It was rowdy, but it was a whole bunch of fun. And you see, Susie and Russ, they're my cousins. They were from a situation where their mother passed away when they were quite young. And their father, as time went on, realized that they could, he could no longer really support his kids as well as he would have liked. And so after many years, our parents were like, well, we will happily take them under our roof. It's a loving family. We will love them just the same as we love our own kids. And they did. They did an awesome job. But, you know, think about this for me. You know, try and put yourself in their shoes you're constantly thinking if you are adopted, like at any point in time, maybe they might regret what they did. Maybe my new guardians might regret what they did. You think, you think maybe, uh, you know, one mistake is too many, one more mistake is too many mistakes. You know, I break the Xbox. Zach's going to kill me. And I was close. I was close. And uh, Rusty probably thought, you know, one day they're going to find out just how annoying my squeaky voice is and that's just going to be the end of it. And, I'm, I, you know, confession is good for the soul. There was a point where I could not handle his squeaky voice. He hit this. It was like fingernails on a chalkboard. I could not handle it. You see, that's my experience with adoption. Even though that wasn't real adoption, that was my parents becoming guardians of them. It's slightly different, but similar sort of principle. Whereas for the Roman church, I mean, for the church in the Roman Empire, it was a little bit different. You see, it was a legal term, and the word adoption is not found in the Old Testament. It's actually, there's nothing like it in the Old Testament. So Paul is introducing this concept as um, a way to relate to our new father. And he's using this word adoption because he knows they'll get it. And this is what the legal ramifications of adoption is. It's more common back in that day that adults were adopted. So it was more often adults, fully grown, fully formed adults, who were completely independent were adopted. Um, they were freely chosen. They were desired by their new father. This is a legal ramification. They could not be disowned. They received a brand new identity and any prior commitments, any debts, or any responsibilities of the adoptee was completely erased. It was fallen under the responsibility of the father. So the father took on board everything that the son had. And this is really interesting. I really like this part because at that very moment where that son or daughter was adopted, remember they were fully grown adults, that very moment they were partakers, they were completely, um, had all rights to all that the father had in that one moment. They received their entire inheritance in that one moment. You see, the father had this agreement in place, what's mine is yours, as soon as they brought them on. So you can see that if the father chose someone to be adopted, it was a big deal and they want to know that they're doing it right and they're doing the right thing, right? And so it's quite, it's quite interesting that we think in today's day and age, if you want to inherit, you know, you want your inheritance, you've got to wait until your parents pass away and then they pass their inheritance down in their will. That's not the way it was back then. They were instantly partakers in what the father had. And um, I wonder if, if you, like we were thinking before, Maybe you're thinking at any point in time, you're that kid, you imagine, just go with me for a moment, you're, imagine you're a kid, you've been in the legal system and you're waiting to get adopted and you, you're seven or eight years old 
and you're thinking, I'm never going to get adopted. But then one day, a beautiful couple walk through and they choose you as your, your adopted son or daughter. And you think this is the best day Christmas has come. But the thing is, is all you've ever known is unwantedness. And all you've ever known is that you were neglected and never chosen. And so what happens is, generally what happens is when that adopted child becomes adopted, the parents could be amazing and loving them so well. But that adopted child is thinking, like I said before, at any point in time, I'm going to break the Xbox and they're not going to want me anymore. And then the next thing they break, maybe that one, they were just in a good mood, they had a good day and they forgave me for that. But this next time I know, now that I've broken this Xbox controller, <laughs> they're not going to want me anymore. Or maybe just maybe they're going to figure out that I've got a really squeaky voice and it's going to drive them nuts and they're just going to not want, <laughs> not going to want me anymore. You see, you have to know, church, that you are freely chosen. You were desired. And now that you were adopted, you cannot be disowned. No matter how many Xbox controllers you break, you have a brand new identity and all prior commitments, all responsibilities and all debt is erased. This is the law of adoption. This is what Paul is trying to encourage the Galatian church. And if you're new to church and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I'm so glad you've come. You've just stumbled upon the greatest, most uplifting and encouraging message that you will ever hear. Because what Jesus has done is he died and paid the price for all our sin, all our broken Xbox controllers, all our muck. And then the father said, because I've paid it in full with my son's blood, you now have a new identity. You have a new family name and your old responsibilities are now erased. And so walk now from that moment on in all that I have for you, says the father, in all that I have for you. But just like that young child that just got adopted, it's so easy for us to fall back into that trap because that's so true for us now, isn't it, church? This is true as to what the Bible says about who we are now that the Father has paid for us, right? But it's so easy to think, you know, I've gone too far. I've broken one too many things. And natural instinct is God doesn't really want to be with me right now. He doesn't really want to be with me. I feel like rubbish. Or maybe you think that, that is the last one. He's never going to use me again. And now he's going to be ashamed to ever offer up any of what he has, any of his kingdom or any of his promises to me because of what I've done. And you know what, church, you're not alone when you think that. You see, God's people have been struggling with this for years, for thousands of years. I mean, we can go back to the Hebrews um, and we can look at their slavery uh, and their freedom from the, from the clutches of Egypt. You know, that's such a good story. Has anybody seen The Prince of Egypt? Oh, isn't that a good movie? I'm I'm a big fan of animated movies. I just I just look. If you're around me for any more than two minutes, you'll start to realize that I just love my movies. Especially, I love my anime movies. Prince of Egypt have to be in top five. You probably probably Aladdin would be up there. I love my Aladdin movie. Um, Emperor's New Groove. I, I look. I'll brag a little bit, but it's completely isolated and this talent is completely worthless. But my little brag right now is I actually have a secret gift and that is I can remember movie quotes. I could probably remember 
or quote Aladdin from start to finish, the entire thing. And the Emperor News Groove, don't test me on this. And the Emperor's New Groove, literally from start to finish, the whole thing. And Lion King would have to be one of my favorites, but I'm not as good with that. But I have to admit, I do love that movie. In fact, that movie is such a good illustration of what we're talking about today, isn't it? You know, there's a, there's a lost son that has destiny and purpose, and that he needs to be called back and reminded. Maybe think of you um, as Simba today thinking, you know what, Zach is Rafiki, and he's coming to remind us who we really are. And I go, Santa Santa, squash banana, and then I just keep going on about who you really are, and then maybe we'll get it. Maybe we'll get it. Now, but the Prince of Egypt, in a, in a nutshell, I'll quickly tell you the story if you're not familiar with it. You see, the Hebrew people, they, they were slaves for 400 years in Egypt. You see, that's all they ever knew. Slavery is all they ever knew. You have to understand this, that their parents were slaves, their grandparents were slaves, their great-grandparents were slaves, and on and on and on. Their entire lifestyle and everything that they were taught through and through was through a slave's mentality, through and through. And so God raises up Moses, who has a fascinating story, and he uses Moses to free the Egyptians, I mean, free the Hebrews from the Egyptians. And you see, it's actually really important to note that Moses' first 40-odd years living and growing up in Pharaoh's house was just as important as his next 40 years leading the Hebrews. It's just as important. You see, God required someone who had a mindset of a son to lead people out of slavery. You with me? And so it's so important that we take a hold of this mentality as a son if we are to walk in the promised land. So if you know the story, the Hebrews came to the promised land and God offered them their destiny. God offered them... The, what he had always intended for his people. And they were presented with the promised land. But as you know, when the spies were sent out, only two came back with a good report. Only two believed that they could take a hold of what God had for them. You see, have you ever heard the quote, you can take the slave out of Egypt, but you can't take Egypt out of the slave? It's like your circumstances can change. But if you still think like the old, it's almost as if you are never free in the first place. And it's so relevant for us today, and you have to get this. You can receive your salvation. You can become adopted as a son and daughter through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. But if you still think like a slave, you will never walk in the promises that God has for you. You need to know that you are now a son and a daughter, and you need to believe that. And your old life needs to go. It needs to go. Your old way of thinking needs to go. But the thing is, it's like the Hebrews. That's all we've ever known. All we ever knew before we came to Jesus was what we would think is normal, which was, you know, quite often we would fight with our family. 
We will fight with our friends. We'll give them the silent treatment. That was what normal was. We would put people at angst with us to get back at them. We would, we would try and get revenge. We would try and one-up them. That is what was normal to us. But I tell you that Jesus is trying to show us a new normal. And like Moses was a teacher of sonship to the Hebrews, Jesus is our teacher of sonship to us now. And we need to pay attention to the one true son and find out what the next new normal is if we're going to walk in what God has for us. You see, our God is such a gracious and loving God. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to win. And he knew that if the Hebrews went into the promised land, Thinking like a slave, his entire people would have been wiped out because they didn't have what it took to inherit the promises. And so our God is the same for us now. If we want to take on board what he has for us, he's not going to give it to us until we're ready. He's not going to give it to us if we're going to mishandle it. And so there's this um, really interesting thought that, you know, a lot of us can relate with. Imagine if you're a parent. And you've got two young kids, one's older than the other, and you go to the park because you want to ride your bikes with the kids. And they've got these brand new bikes, and they've both got training wheels on them. And the eldest, naturally, because they're older and they've built up their dexterity, is just doing really well on the bike. Doing really well. The youngest is learning the ropes, you know, definitely needs those training wheels. But you think, as a loving parent, you know what, my eldest is ready to go. I'm going to take off these training wheels. I believe that they're going to take on this responsibility and smash it out of the park. And then because you're a loving parent, you know what they're ready for. You take off the training wheels and boom, they're off. They might have a little stumble here and there, but that's all right. They've got the confidence and they go. But the younger one was like, that's not fair. What about me? I can't go as fast as he can with my training wheels. Mum or dad, you're holding me back. I'm ready for this. I'm ready for this. And if you're a loving parent and you knew where they were at, you wouldn't take off the training wheels. If you did, you might have something you need to work through there because maybe you like seeing your children get hurt and that's not cool. That is not cool. But if you were gracious enough and you... You knew where they were at. You withhold responsibility and you withhold promotion before or until they are ready. So what I'm teaching you this morning is how to be ready for the increase that God has for you. I love this um, scripture from Proverbs 30, uh, verse 22 and verse uh, 23. It really highlights what I'm trying to convey this morning. It says, a slave when he becomes a king and a fool when he is filled with food. An unloved woman when she gets a husband and a maidservant when she displaces her mistress. Now, the New Zach translation says, uh, the NZV uh, says that basically what that means is if you are an employee and you get promoted before you are ready, there's usually destruction that follows suit. So if a slave becomes a king, but he's not ready to be a king, and take on all this responsibility, there's usually trouble that follows suit. You know those people that win the lottery? They're not ready to win the lottery. And then 10 years later, they're worse off than what they were. Because there's a slave that just became a king. And they're not ready for that. And so I really want you to highlight that this is a principle that God's trying to get across to his kids. Like, I want you to be ready for all I have. Because in that one moment of adoption, you have full access to what God has. And so... Jesus is trying to teach us 
what the new norm is. See, when you think like a slave, you carry that mentality into your next relationship. You carry that into your next job. You carry that next in, into your next ministry role. And so you could be like, well, that was just that workplace and that was just an unhealthy environment. And, and that may be true. Well, that was an unhealthy relationship and that didn't go well. And that may be true. But if you're starting to see that your next relationship is the same, the next workplace is the same, the next workplace is the same, maybe just maybe you haven't quite grasped what it means to be a son to take on the responsibility that that new role or that new relationship has for you. I want to read a um, scripture from uh, Matthew 9. Jesus is speaking and responding to the Pharisees in verse 16. And it's really interesting because the Pharisees are like, yeah, but Jesus, that's not how we do things here. You know, if you want to fast, this is how you do it. And Jesus is responding and he's showing them the new. He's showing them the new and Jesus' response to them is really interesting. It almost seems out of context if you just read it at face value, but his response is so cool. It says, No one puts a piece of unshrunken cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine poured into an old wineskin. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. And naturally, the wine would be too. But new wine is put into fresh wineskin, so both are preserved. You see, you can't take your old life and way of thinking into the new life and the gospel that God has called you to. The Bible says that you are a new creation. You are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. You are delivered from the kingdom of darkness and delivered to the kingdom of the son of his love, which is the kingdom of light. And so you need to know that if you try and take your old mindset, you will ultimately do more damage to yourself with the gospel and you will damage the gospel. Yeah? You know people who share out of their hurt and share out of their disappointment to God? That is damaging the wineskin and damaging the wine. You see, we want to think like a son to embrace all that God has for us. You see, church, you need to know who you are and whose you are if you want to embrace all that God has for you. You see, what's really important is, as Moses was to the Hebrews, Jesus is to us. And what does that look like practically? It's so important as us as a church that we're just in this this needs to become us through and through because this is our teaching of what we need to think, act, and walk like. And I would encourage you, read Philippians because Philippians is so encouraging about the way that Jesus thought, the way that he thinks. And Paul says that you need to have that mind, that mind of Christ. And he talks about, you know, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile against and when he was persecuted, he did not persecute back. And Jesus just took it and took it and took it because he knew that his reward was not in the immediate and was not in face value and the popularity that we say is a good idea. It actually was in all that the Father had. And so our reward, as what Ben was talking about before in response time, our reward and our foundation is not here that can be easily taken away. 
And so when things come against us, when people accuse us, when people accuse our good of actually being evil, which happens a lot as Christians, doesn't it? We can know that our foundation is already settled. Our adoption is absolute. And our sonship is not up for question because the Father legally cannot unadopt us. We are freely chosen and we are desired and we are partakers in all that he has. You see, I would encourage you to get in the scriptures, get in small group and work this out with each other. What sonship and what it means to be really a daughter of the father. You see, you need to know, church, who you are and whose you are if you were to walk in all that God had for you. I wonder if um, I'll get you to stand. I just think this is really important. You see a son and a daughter, you know, when they're out for coffee and they're pouring the water and they realize there's only enough left for one other person, but there's two cups remaining, including their own. They just pour the other person. That's what a son or a daughter does. You see, a son or a daughter, they, they recognize the gift in someone else before the gift in their own. They look to promote others before they promote themselves because, because they know that the promotion ultimately comes from God and that at any point in time, because they're already settled, you know, a son and a daughter is already settled. They don't need the accolades because they're settled with who they are because of what God's done, because they were already chosen, they were already desired, and they cannot be unadopted. I love... Um, I really do love that movie, The Lion King. <laughs> I think it's, it is so relevant to what I'm talking about today. You see, Simba, he was avoiding his responsibility, but he was always, he was always called to be a son. And you know, before we are Christians, before we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're not sinners, decrepit people. Well, we are sinners. But we're actually lost sons and lost daughters. Because Jesus didn't come because he's like, oh, I want to collect all my sinners. No, he came because he wanted to come for his sons and his daughters. It's a different way of thinking about it. You see, Simba was always a son. We know that because we saw the ending of the movie. And there's this amazing moment where he has an encounter with the father. Mufasa, voiced by James Earl Jones. I swear, God, that's God's voice. You know, when we get to heaven, that's, that'll be God's voice. The fact that he also voices Darth Vader is just a happy coincidence. But Simba has this encounter with the Father. And what's the first thing the Father says? He says, you have forgotten me. You've forgotten me. And I'll, you know, it's so many times... When I'm down on myself and I feel unwanted or unworthy, all it really is, I'm just forgetting Him. That's all it is. Because the Father responds to Simba and Simba says, he's like, no way, I could never do that. I would never forget you. And we would, as Christians, we would never forget God. I mean, we wake up every morning with the verse of the day on our phone. Like, how could we forget Him? How could we forget God? But the thing is, it's profound what, Mufasa says, he says, you have forgotten who you are and so you have forgotten me. You've forgotten who you are and 
Therefore, you have forgotten me. See, it's so important we realize who we are now that God has accepted us into his family. And we can't ever forget that. And just as I'm here today, and just as in um, Galatians 4, the Spirit is crying out, Abba, Father, He's reminding you who your Father is. He's reminding you who He is and who you are because of who He is. You see, today is just a reminder. And Philippians 3 says, Paul says, It's not tedious for me to write the same thing over and over and over and over. Because... For you, it is a reminder. And for you, it is a safeguard. It's so important that we don't forget who we are now that we've been adopted into His family. You see, number one, remember, through Christ, you are now adopted as a son and daughter to the God, the Father. Two, remember the Father said, what's mine is yours in this kingdom and you are co-heirs with your big brother, Jesus Christ. You are co-heirs with Christ. Number three, remember, if you want to walk like a son, you need to start thinking like a son. You need to know who you are and whose you are if you want to walk in all that God has for you. It's so important. It's so important. I wonder if we can take a moment just to pray. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.